0: back to the novice latest podcast today i'm doing something a little bit different than what i normally do on the show so me and isaac a little bit of discussed in the past um releasing an episode of, of just one of us you know discussing certain things that the other person doesn't really know about too much and so it's hard to bring up in like a speakeasy because it's like you just want to say what you want to say you know you don't necessarily want to have to you know explain what is that you're talking about in the first place so we talked about a little bit but nothing ever happened um, and I don't know if I'm actually going to use this here, but if I am, um, I was thinking I could call the show Flying Solo. And it'll be a very, very rare and occasional show. Maybe once in a blue moon, I'll release a bonus, you know, discussing something like this, or Isaac will release something. But again, I don't even know if I'm going to use this, but if I do, here it is Flying Solo. So I've been mentioning on the show recently, and I mentioned previously when I've done this in the past, that every year I pick a different director and do a complete run through of all their films. Um, I started doing this. Oh, I don't even know how long ago I started doing this, but you know, last year I did George Romero and um, Jack Hill, the great exploitation director this year. So far I've done David Cronenberg Cronenberg directed 21 films. And in the past, um, I've written just little like notes to myself, like, oh yeah, this is what I thought going through this retrospective, but I never quite, um, really got all my thoughts out. And I thought, why not just sit here and record a little episode talking about all the movies that I just watched. And again, I don't know if I'm really going to use this on, um, on any of the podcast feeds or if I'm just going to keep it for my own kind of, uh, memory to go back. Oh, what did I think about it when I was done my David Cronenberg retrospective? So I'm just going to talk a little, little briefly about my prior history with David Cronenberg. Um, the first film of his that um, I saw, I think it was The Dead Zone. Um, but I wouldn't have known who that was. I would have just associated that with the Stephen King thing as a kid. Just on TV, um, I'd seen it, but I'd never seen it all the way through, um, actually until this retrospective. But um, I, I'd seen The Fly at some point, I don't know when. And I'm not sure if that was my second Cronenberg film or my third one, but it was definitely one that I saw very frequently growing up. Um, But really the one that anytime I thought about David Cronenberg, the first thing that came to mind for me was Videodrome. Um, I saw it, I don't know what age I saw that at actually, but it was quite young, way too young for it. Um, It disturbed me quite a bit. And anytime it would come on TV, it was, you know, just that was premier television for me that night. That's that's what I was going to be watching. Um, I absolutely loved Videodrome. Um, I think I, I we did a podcast on it recently and I was talking about how it created a sort of uh, attraction repulsion with just um, sadomasochism in film just overall. But something about that movie, just the element of the body horror um, mixed in with the you know very um, kind of grotesque kind of vibe to it and um, just kind of this oppressive nature to the movie it was something that always... Any time I thought about David Cronenberg, I would feel that style in my head. And after that, you know, I sought out some of his films uh, when I was old enough to really understand. Like, because I knew who David Cronenberg was because of Videodrome. The name w- would be burned in my head and it'd be one of the one of the directors that, when, once I really started to grapple with the internet, was a director that I really started to look into and try to seek out more of his stuff. But really, that was about it prior to this retrospective. But I'm going to quickly go through the list. And give kind of what my thoughts were before the retrospective, and my thoughts are now for the ones that I've seen, or just my my current thoughts for the ones that I saw for the first time. So, first of all, there's stereo, just one of Carpenter's silent student projects. Um, super dry, super boring. Don't watch it. Absolutely, do not watch it. Um, same with Crimes of the Future. Crimes of the Future. Crimes of the Future was a little bit more interesting, um, and it had some some actually nice visuals in it. But again, just like the first one, it was shot silent and then just dubbed over with some of the driest, most like dull, <laughs> very clinical, very scientific, and very, very unengaging. Just constant monologue throughout the film. Um, so both those films I saw for the first time in both of them I would probably never watch again. Crimes of the Future, actually, interesting enough, uh, it was just announced maybe like two months ago um, that Cronenberg is remaking that. So it was. It was a couple months after I'd seen it, and I was like, "Oh, hey, that that's quite interesting." Hmm. But after that, there's shivers. Um, this one I didn't really care for the first time I watched it. This time I also didn't really care for it. It's um, just kind of a cheap exploitation horror movie set in a um, kind of like a, a high rise tower. It's got like a touch of sex exploitation in it too, and um, it's got these little paras- parasitic, little like wormy guys running around wreaking havoc really doesn't work for me. It's just kind of, um, there's not a lot to it idea wise. Um, and it just feels like kind of cheap, half-hearted exploitation to me, but his next film Rabid is much more interesting with, um, it's also got Carpenter's element of, um, obsession with, um, kind of body horror. Cause this one, the previous one shivers, was just um, basically the little parasite we get into and it turned you into like a sex crazed. Um, I don't know what to call it. Murder, I guess. Rabbit's a little bit different. Um, it deals with someone who gets like this sort of sort of vampiric kind of um, virus to her. Um, and I'm not going to go into the the plots of all these that <laughs> we would take way too long. But I just appreciate the, the kind of sense for pacing in this one. It's again, a pretty, pretty light fare. It's just like a kind of cheap horror movie type of deal. Not a lot to it depth wise, I don't think, but but still a fun little little piece of uh exploitation horror. So I can enjoy that. Fast Company was Cronenberg selling out. It's just this very Maudlin bland <laughs> kind of motocross story. I thought it was gonna be a car movie. I was really excited, but there's very few car sequences in it. Really it's just backstage kind of drama. And yeah, it didn't, it was just pap. I didn't care for it, but the next film, and uh, by the way, Fast Company, I'd seen for the first time this viewing, Shivers and Rabid, I'd both seen prior, but The Brood I saw for the first time um, during this retrospective. And that one, it was discovering a, another Cronenberg classic. Absolutely loved that movie. Um, Again, I'm not going to spoil too much, but it has some really great visual stuff some really creepy moments, and it's got a great performance by my um, buddy from The Devils, Oliver Reed. Um, he's great in that movie. Um, the movie just absolutely rocks. Just check it out. It's got some cool ideas in it, some cool body horror shit. It's just a really, really cool flick. Um, then I revisited Scanners, I mentioned. I picked up the Criterion Blu-ray when they put it out, Um, and I hadn't seen it since I didn't really care for it at the time. I thought it was kind of, um, cheap and just kind of just a little too slow this time around. Um, I really got into the performances in the movie. Um, it, it started to, I'd started to get really familiar with Carpenter's kind of, um, aesthetic and just his standpoint on the viewpoint protagonists where they're more like, just, I don't know how to describe them, almost like empty vessels, that are just kind of guiding the audience through this sterile kind of world and scanners is, is drenched in that tone. And although the protagonist in that one, well, I don't know. Is he really much more interesting? Uh, It it starts to change around this point. Um, but it's a good continuation of that tone from those from those early Cronenberg stuff. Um, it's got some great practical effects, um, and some, and some cool ideas. And also we, my buddy, also playing another um professor is patrick mcguin patrick mcguin is a lot of fun in the movie um and michael ironside plays a great villain it's just all around really really cool flick amazing headshot sequence that the movie's famous for but it's an awesome movie besides that at least on my second viewing (laughs) but then we get to videodrome i mean i can't say enough good things about videodrome really i just I just i always love going back to that um and i felt the same way this feeling And <laughs> um, then we get the dead zone the dead zone i'd seen in pieces over the years but never sat and watched all the way through and i still never read the i still never read the book but quality film christopher walken it's before he becomes you know the kind of um <laughs> how do you call it the kind of caricature <laughs> Uh, that it becomes Christopher Walken in the late '80s, into the '90s, and but besides him, it's got a great story. Some of the structure is a little bit, little bit wonky in parts. There feels a little too episodic for a feature, but but I think it comes around to a great conclusion. And um, and Martin Sheen as the villain. I mean, the guy, <laughs> the guy's just he's just excellent in that film. But then we move on to The Fly. Um this one I'd seen many, many times throughout my life. I watched all the time on TV growing up, and you know it, it stood up. Um, it stood up even better than my than my memory. Um, I think it's an excellent film, highly efficient in terms of storytelling. Um, great performances by both of our leads. Amazing practical effects work, great cinematography. Just everything about the movie just it just is firing on all cylinders. You could say it's Cronenberg at its most commercial, but it's also just incredibly sharp work. So so still stands up as a towering uh, towering figure in his filmography. But then we move on to Dead Ringers. Dead Ringers I'd seen previously several years ago, and I remember liking it, but this viewing around, I loved it. Cronenberg um, starting with The Fly. Actually, I guess you could say starting with The Dead Zone but I think of it more starting with the fly, but he, he enters a new era where it's, um, you know, the focus is still kind of on body horror, um, kind of aesthetics, but he begins to kind of focus a little bit more here on tragedy and, you know, the, the fly is absolutely a tragedy. You get to the end of that movie. It's, you know, it ends on that incredibly stark kind of heartbreaking note, the Dead Ringers is much more of a drama than anything Cronenberg had done up to that point. But it's just incredibly bleak. And some of the best work you'll see by um, Jeremy Irons, just a fantastic dual performance. Um, but fucking the movie, you know, you get to the end and it's just like, it just kicks your ass big time. Um, like definitely some some tear, some tear jerker shit there, <laughs> just with how much of a tragedy it is. Uh, Naked Lunch is an odd beast. Um, I saw it for the first time this viewing and don't know how I thought about it, really. Um, I really like the aesthetic. Peter Weller gives a, a pretty fun performance. <laughs> um, and all around, I I think it's a cool piece. And I really enjoyed the score by Howard Shore. Howard Shore, just across the board. I mean, I think he, I think he did every Cronenberg movie. The guy, I mean, he's got some real talent really, really good composer. I mean, just, yeah, I mean, you got to appreciate and stick with Cronenberg all that time too. it two, especially when you get to like something like maps to the stars, they have a really just great kind of tempo together, it's just some really wonderful stuff. But for naked lunch, I liked everything, but the story, the story kind of made me scratch my head and maybe, maybe that'll change more on our PETA viewings. But the first viewing <laughs> I was left a little a little mystified by some of what the the choices were. and uh, But, but I, I still enjoyed it, and it's still one that I'll definitely go back to. But after that, we got M. Butterfly. M. Butterfly was different than everything that Cronenberg had done up to that point. And, and really, I mean, he starts to experiment a lot by this point, just doing very, very different films. But this one was very ambitious for him. Um, it's based on a true story. Um, it's, you know, set in you know, set over the span of 20 years. It's got a very global political element to it. And it really strays away from any sort of body horror, or just horror in general. Um, and even strays away from Cronenberg's usual laser focus on kind of, um, kind of biological obsession that he had in his, his early works. Um, and yeah, it's, It's just a it's a really interesting film. Um, Another great performance by Jeremy Irons. I really appreciated their collaborations together. I wish they had done more. Um, Maybe if Cronenberg keeps working, hopefully he can do another flick with uh, Jeremy Irons, because they really did some, they really had a a hell of a connection there, I thought, with these two movies. But moving on from that, we get to Crash. Um, This is another one that I saw for the first time. Same with M. Butterfly a crash that this one I was another one I didn't know what to think I mean it in some ways gets back to Kronenberg's obsession with the biological meeting with the technological but and it's also dealing with kind of um sadomasochistic elements similar to Videodrome the two have a similar vibe I just don't really get this movie's vibe <laughs> like it's off-putting in a way that I don't enjoy like not in like I was highly disturbed by it or anything. It's just like I kept sitting there just not knowing how to feel about the whole movie. And some of its ideas just are a little too strange for me. I don't quite, it doesn't quite all come together in my brain. So it's another one that might, it might grow on me, or repeated viewings, but I, did, I didn't I did come away positive. This is one of the few. There's only two of mo- this giant list of all the filmmakers that I do these retrospectives for. And I always do these little four tiered ratings. I'll give a, you know, an ace sign or an okay sign for the ones that I love, a thumbs up for the ones that I like or really like, and then kind of just a guy shrugging, like, I don't know. And Shivers got a shrug and um, Crash also got a shrug. And that's basically how I just feel. I, I don't know what to say about that one. I didn't dislike it, but I was like, I don't know. Then we get Existence. I'd seen this one before. I didn't really care for it that much. I thought it was okay. And this viewing, I felt the same. I mean, it's got a really cool aesthetic to it. Um, I enjoy some of the performances. I enjoyed seeing Christopher Eccleston, you know, the ninth doctor. I'm always happy to see that guy. Um, but yeah, the plot, I don't know. It, it had some cool elements to it, but the, the movie gets a little bit too, a little too pretentious in some ways. And little too callbacky, to Videodrome in some ways that I find a little obnoxious, and yeah, it just it has a sense of like postmodernism to it, and I just don't really feel like it. It works all that well, as I often feel with postmodernist things. <laughs> but, um, but I do like Existence I'm not going to say I don't. I just it's not a it's not a particular highlight, but it's still a quality film by by Cronenberg. Um then we get to Spider. This is another one with the Shrug sign. Very ambitious. This is, I think, Cronenberg's first, like just completely abstract film. Like the structure of it is very strange. Um and maybe maybe I'm even wrong, maybe. Because <laughs> you could look at it as as kind of a I could see how people could view it as a straight plot, but to me it's not so much about what you're seeing on screen and more about how it's supposed to make you feel and what you're supposed to take from what you're seeing rather than just, you know, kind of absorbing it as just a a straight plot. And so for me, it feels a little bit more abstract, and it feels a little bit wonky. Like, it's one that I definitely want to revisit, but it's just very different from everything else that he's done up to this point, and eh, I guess somewhat afterwards. But it's definitely a film that I feel like I feel like I'll maybe get more into on repeated viewings. But the first viewing, it was not at all what I was expecting. And it took me a while to kind of Absorb what the movie was doing, which is something I'll get back to um, in a couple of films. After that, I revisited A History of Violence. This one I'd seen previously many years ago, and it was just kind of a shrug. I was like, quality film, um, good performances, but eh, it's just kind of, you know, like six out of 10. No, fuck that. This movie is a masterwork by Cronenberg. Um, my second favorite, maybe even potentially my favorite of his films. We get his best collaborator, Viggo Mortensen. I mean, these two, they're just magic together. I'm not going to spoil anything about the plot for this one. Check it out. Um, Viggo Mortensen delivers powerhouse performance. Maybe the best of his career. Maria Bello, same thing. Career best performance. She's great in the movie. Um, And William Hurt and Ed Harris. I mean, those two, just some great work. I mean, this movie is incredibly fun. It's got a great kind of dramatic core to it a great mystery to it um there's this wonderful kind of um familial kind of discussion that we get in the movie and just what makes a man a man and it's just all around just a perfect it's a masterwork really really excellent piece of work by by Cronenberg after that we get Eastern Promises I, I was seeing this one for the first time after remembering the trailers when I was a kid, I, I would see the trailer for this and I'd see David Cronenberg's name and it would just send a tingle up my spine. And I was like, this is going to be a great film. And it took me all the way until now to see it. But for years I was like, oh, I can't! I cannot wait. Till this hits uh, the rentals. I, I'd see it on DVDs and I'd be like, oh fuck, how did I not see this yet? This looks like it's going to be a fantastic film. And in many ways it lived up to it. And in other ways, it's an unfulfilling film. I'll say Vigo Mortensen, again, delivers a fantastic performance. And the movie, again, has a great kind of mystery core to it, um, but also a great emotional core. We get some of Cronenberg's more ambitious... Um, oh, how, how do I destri- describe it? Because I was going to say more ambitious character work, but just more maybe dangerous character work that's why i say the movie's um, a little unfulfilling is when you get to the end there's some things that are really left just completely unfulfilled like intentionally so but in a way that can be a little distancing like after it was over it took me a little while to kind of grapple with like was that really the place to end the story was the story even ended really (laughs) um and that's a little frustrating but all around i mean this one brilliant performances great sense of atmosphere cronenberg is at the top of his game in just controlling narrative and really delivering what it made his career i mean there's a scene of violence in this movie that's i mean it's just it's just such a brilliant sequence i mean the guy <laughs> he really is a master class director by this point in his career and i think he stumbles a little bit with the next film a dangerous method I don't think this is a bad movie by any means. I think he, again, gets some great performances, this time working with um, Viggo Mortensen once again, as well as bringing in Kieran Knightley to give a surprisingly good in-layered performance. And we also get Michael Fassbender. And he's quite good here, but I wouldn't say great. Um, and overall, this one, it's got a very elliptical pace to it with the editing, and it takes place over years. They don't make that clear. It can be a little frustrating just in terms of keeping track of where we are in the story in terms of the timeline. (laughs) And so I found the movie a little distancing. And so it was not one that I necessarily um, felt fully embraced by. Um, But it was still a quality film, still some really quality performances and a good story. It just, it was difficult to really get fully immersed into the movie which is a problem that Cronenberg would not have at all in his next film, Cosmopolis. This is the beginning of his um, collaboration with Robert Pattinson. And Pattinson is the spotlight star here. He spends basically the whole movie riding around in a limousine. And it's got a fascinating sense for dialogue, but also like it's purposely pretentious and I could easily see people watching this and thinking it's obnoxious because nobody talks like a human being. This is another movie that's just a straight kind of abstract piece. (laughs) And everything you're seeing is, I mean, it's, it's clearly, you know, not the real world at all. And it's got a vibe all of its own. It's got some great cinematography. It's got some more great performances, and Cronenberg captures this really oppressive tone in some of his movies, and this one absolutely has that too. But it comes in fits and bursts. Like the movie, it's, it's just a it's just a cool fucking movie. Definitely recommend Cosmopolis, and then we get to the last of his movies, Map to the Stars, and this one. He hasn't made a movie since. It would have been easy to think this was going to be his last, last film before he announced this remake of his. But this one is a really, really interesting piece. It's all about Hollywood. It's another sort of abstract piece, but not fully. Um, it's difficult to fully explain. <laughs> um, but this one is a really, really cool film. It's got a great performance by Julianne Moore at the center of it. She's just, I mean, she's a great actress just overall, but really, really, you know, in, in glamorous performance. She's playing a washed up Hollywood actress and she takes it down deep and dirty. Like it's definitely a, a performance with no vanity and it's great. Um, she really, really sells it. And we get some really unusual kind of um, characters to be our focus, It's a cool piece. Um, I don't fully feel like I grasped it all on my first viewing, but it's one that I would definitely, that I'm definitely going to be going back to um, quite frequently because it captures a lot of the stuff that I really love about David Cronenberg as a filmmaker. He's got that incredibly abrasive, just oppressive tone running through the whole movie. Howard Shore's score really, really accentuates that. And the, again, Cronenberg, he gets such great performances out of his actors. I mean, just, I don't think people give him credit, credit enough for just how consistent he is with getting his actors to deliver just fantastic performances. And in this one, I mean, Julianne Moore, for one, is great. Robin Pattinson turns in a good role just as a big character. But Mia, I don't know how to say this name, actually, Mia... I don't know how to say it, but the girl from Crimson Peak and various other films, she, she, I mean, she just has a really particular vibe in this movie and she's got a great kind of, um, I don't know how to describe her energy in it, but she's just really good. Um, definitely a spotlight, uh, appearance for her as a, as an actress and Evan Bird who plays kind of a, a very, um, troubled child actor i think he gives a really good um kind of layered performance as well and oh yeah this is also his second time working with sarah gadden who also appeared in cosmopolis she's quite good in this movie too i mean just all around great performances the filmmaking side of things um it's got a great sense for cinematography pacing is great and just it's got a, a incredibly precise tone and it just keeps pressing on you and pressing on you, but not too much that you get, you know, turned off by the movie. Like I feel like Crash in some ways has a bit of that. And it helps that the performances are so good because you get very invested in the different characters and what the movie's trying to say. And, you know, Map to the Stars, it's, it's, it's a movie that came out with very little fanfare. I didn't even realize that it was a Cronenberg movie when I first um, kind of heard of it. I was just like, oh, another Rob Pattinson movie. Okay. Hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely this isn't one that people should sleep on, especially if you're into movies, um, say written or directed by Charlie Kaufman. I feel like at this point in Cronenberg's career, he's working in a similar mode that um, Kaufman can often dwell in. A little less abstract, but still abstract in its way. I guess I shouldn't say a little cause Charlie Kaufman can get very fucking abstract, but, <laughs> but definitely um, it's in that vein. And I mean that that's a big fucking career. The guy made 21 movies and he just kept getting better and better. There's no fall off. You know, he's been working in the business since 1975 and all the way up until 2014, he was still delivering quality work. Um, basically every film. I mean, there was no duds since uh, Shivers. There's a couple films where I wasn't sure how I felt about them, but they certainly weren't duds. They certainly weren't bad, bad films. Um, The guy is incredibly consistent. He's got a distinct and always present tone in his different phases in his career. Early on, it was that very Cronenbergian sense for body horror, sense for, kind of discussing kind of the psychological expressed through the biological. And then he got to a certain point when it became much more about um, less about the body horror element and more about the psychological element, but always that sense of very much focused on kind of um, the rawness of humanity. There's always a huge sexual element to Cronenberg's films, and there's always a huge element of violence to his films. Um, the levels of how much one side is more overemphasized than the other, you know, varies across his career, and getting into things like addiction, something that he starts to focus on quite often um, in a number of pieces, more explicitly in something like Dead Ringers, but also used metaphorically in films like Crash or Videodrome. Um, I mean, again, it helps that he's always working with um, Howard Shore with the music to really add in that kind of um, um, kind of bass note form, but they always have a very consistent sense of tone, and they all look fantastic up to a certain point in his career after he's done working in the super low budget uh, department and his films up after a certain point he gets powerhouse should be oscar worthy performances out of his actors i mean i think really starting with with walkin in the dead zone and up all the way through i mean i didn't talk about ralph fiennes and spider um ralph fiennes has always been an actor that i thought was okay I think he delivers a noticeable performance in that, like something that's um, worth talking about when mentioning Ralph Fiennes as an actor. Um, Jude Law and Existence, i mean that that movie's more about being slick and cool than it is getting a good performance. But, like I said, Jeremy Irons, like I said, um, Viggo Mortensen—just career best work when paired with Cronenberg. And Viggo Mortensen's actually coming back; he's going to be in the remake of *Of Crimes of the Future*. So I'm very very excited about that, and um, yeah, absolutely Cronenberg. You know, he's quite old now. He probably doesn't have many more films left in him, but he's been really consistent up to this point, and I'm really hopeful and expecting that he's going to keep that consistency up. Oh, well, and I'll just say, just because I mentioned uh, Sarah Gaddon in Cosmopolis and Map to the Stars, she starred in this series called Alias Grace a few years ago and David Cronenberg actually plays, um, not exactly a pivotal, but a recurring role in that series. And so it was fun seeing him. It was, it was a complete surprise for me. It was fun seeing him, um, working as an actor again, just something that he'd done very rarely throughout his career, at least in terms of actually, you know, giving a performance, not just a cameo. So it was really cool seeing that and really caught me off guard. Um, and all around just this guy's one of my favorite filmmakers. He's just, just fantastic and um absolutely if you have not seen much of his work you're sleeping on some great films here because this guy incredibly consistent and um, you can't go wrong with almost any of them so (laughs) highly recommend his career